Hi everybody, I'm your hot with Scott Kellner and you are tuned in to Digital Mentorship. Digital Mentorship is a podcast designed to educate college, juniors, seniors, and current professionals about career possibilities. If you can think about what you wanted to do when you were declaring a major or getting ready to graduate, is that anything close to what you ended up doing? Do you think somebody else getting ready to graduate has any idea that a job or career or your business even exists? The goal of this podcast is to help narrow the gap between what individuals think their career must be and what it could be. Disclaimer time! Scott Kellner works in the private wealth management industry, and it's possible investments or securities are talked about in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Welcome to Digital Mentorship uh, Podcast, where we're helping close the gap between what you think your career has to be and what it could be. I'm your hot with Scott Kellner, and today I'm super excited to have one of my good friends, uh, Curtis Roberts, on the show. Curtis and I went to lacrosse together, played lacrosse together, uh, oh, went to Westminster together, excuse me, played lacrosse together. Uh, Curtis is currently um, the founder of the Founders Attorney, which is his company, which we're going to get into. He's also spent time, uh, you spent time at Realty Mogul. You were an associate at Dowling Aaron Incorporated. I know you worked for the SEC um, and the, uh, you know, the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. You're an adjunct professor uh, doing business law, right, and corporate law. Contract and business organizations is what is what it says on your LinkedIn page, and and yeah, like I said, you've been um, an attorney at the Founders Attorney for four years and two months. So Curtis, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. And so I guess uh, you know one of the things that I like to do, um, you know, to start off the show, I play with my guests to help my listeners know you a little better and to help me know you a little better is play two truths and a lie. And so the, the three things that you gave me is you rode an ostrich, you've been bungee jumping, and you've caught a hundred and plus pound halibut. Um, I think I know, I think I know you rode an ostrich because I've heard that story, I think. And uh, I'm pretty, I don't know if you've been bungee jumping. I think bungee jumping is the lie. I got it. Yep. I, I got I'm- it. And I should have, uh, when I was living in Uganda, working for their version of the Security and Exchange Commission, I should have gone bungee jumping, but I didn't, things weren't really up to safety standards and codes, and um, I decided to pass on it, but in hindsight, I should have done it. You should have done it. Well, I've never done, uh, I've never done any extreme uh, sport like that, other than, you know, I mean, like skiing is about as extreme as I get, dude. I'm scared of like, I'm scared of like, I'm kind of a little bit of an adrenaline junkie and I'm kind of scared if I start getting into that stuff, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it might. Ostrich riding though, don't recommend it. One time, you know? I was a one and done, yeah. I don't, I don't <laughs> but that was, I think I've seen the pictures from it. That was like. Yeah, the pictures are the best part. The actual, <laughs> it looks like I'm having much more fun than I was actually having. Uh, well, uh, thank you so much for being here. So yeah, the idea of the whole podcast is this is something that's geared towards uh, 
you know, sophomores, juniors, seniors, people that are making decisions about what they want to do for career, what they want to do, you know, what they want to study. And, um, and kind of, like I said at the beginning, trying to close the gap between what people think their career has to be and what their career uh, can be or could be. And I think your, your experience is super interesting in terms of going to law school and starting your own um, uh, kind of like a law firm with a very specific niche and focus and um, and we, we can we can kind of get to that. But one of the other things that I really like about your experience is all the traveling that you've done. Uh, but I kind of first wanted to start um, at how you ended up um, at Westminster and and why you chose finance as a major. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I came to Westminster, grew up in Idaho, grew up in a really small town, about 9,000 people. Um, moved with my parents up to Boise when I was around 12 um, and then finished my middle school and high school there. Um, I visited Westminster College and kind of just fell in love with it. That's uh, where we met and it's, it's, it's absolutely incredible experience for me. Um, what, was the, what was the second part? Oh just and how you ended up deciding um, to study finance. Oh, okay, so I started in um, at, with, at choosing a management major. I thought I wanted to be a history major in, uh, when I was in high school, and then I realized it's really tricky to make money as a history major with a business minor, so I decided to make the business my major, and then I started out with a, in the management. Um, when I declared my major, it was, it was a management student. Um, I realized pretty quickly that if you search on Monster or Indeed, there's not a lot of jobs in management for 22-year-old kids coming out of undergrad. So I switched it to, um, I didn't want to be an accountant, so I switched it to finance. I had a, a great teacher, Lauren LeRae. Um, I think she, she also had an impact on you. Um, and after my first year, I switched uh, majors to finance. And it was, an, it was the best program that I, that I did. And I think, yeah, Lauren LeRae was one of my um, favorite professors. She did uh, my intro to finance class. I was originally an economics major. And, but around that time that I did an intro to finance class, I think I did pretty well in it. Um, it's actually in one of my blog posts. I talk about, um, you know, how my grandfather had given me a book by Michael Lewis, originally like the big short. And, uh, you know, that all kind of happened for me around the same time and uh, where uh, I felt like I kind of was learning to love learning and finance was one of those things that I was passionate about. Um, and it all kind of just fell, fell on a line, which I think is one of the great things about Westminster is uh, Harrison and I, who I've had on the show earlier, was talking about um, the same thing. He felt like he learned to love learning at Westminster and uh, he talked about the small class sizes and the professors having an impact on him. Um, so I think that's something really special. And we all play lacrosse. So wow, we all, all, all have a bunch of stuff in common. And so, and then after your time, uh, you know, at Westminster, you, you decided at some point that you were going to go to law school. And yes. just tell me, tell me about that, you know, that decision and, and kind of, I think you had an experience as an intern at Goldman Sachs. And then you made the decision to go to law school or, or just talk about, talk about that. So I've been, I've been thinking about and kind of planning on, on going to law school after undergrad. I graduated in three years. And so give me a little bit less time to kind of make the decisions about what to do after. Uh, my brother-in-law at the time, he was in law school. And so he kind of had counseled me on how to get letters of recommendation, what that path looks like. He'd given me all his old LSAT study textbook. So it was one that I, I um, 
I went down that path and yeah. studying and taking and taking the LSAT. Um, you actually got me a uh, a position at uh, venturecapital.org. We worked we worked there together. Yeah. I volunteered. Um, and then I unfortunately had to give that one up. I actually got a job at Goldman, so I was working there. Oh, that's um, right. It wasn't an internship. It was full time. Yeah. So it was my first. I had my first interview out of undergrad. Actually, I tell the story all the time. Is that somebody had come into our into one of the finance classes, and he was actually at Goldman. He said, "If you're not, if you have an interview, you're going to be really bad at it." And um, I thought, "Not me. I'll probably be fine at it." Um, he said, "It's a skill set, just like any other. It needs to be practiced." And I heard him. I don't think I really heard him because my first interview with Goldman, I didn't get the job. And so after that, it was a real kind of shot to my ego. So I took a, I took every chance to interview at every place that I could for the next, I think I interviewed at 20, 30 spots. Um, jobs, some that I didn't want, selling life insurance and this and that. And just trying to get my interviewing skill set practiced. And so um, when I got called back to get to do an interview for a different role uh, at Goldman, um, I knew the questions, I knew my answers, I knew the responses. I felt just so much more confident. So um, I guess one tip would be take any chance to interview you can get um, when you're an undergrad. And even after, it's, I think it's a really, really helpful skill set to build. Yeah, absolutely. I think that interviewing is something that um, is if you need you need you need reps you need reps answering some of those questions you know tell me tell me about a time uh where you had a strict deadline and how you made that deadline you know tell me about a time when you know yeah. you, you you know answering questions like that and and being able to answer it succinctly and is really just something that you, it's if you can pull that out without any preparation good for you um, but I feel like, you know, the best way to answer those kind of like very specific technical, technical questions that interviewers ask is definitely something that is worth practicing or that you need to practice. Yeah. Um, I had a great who called me every week and we kind of practiced and worked on it. It was for a job that was in February. And so we just worked and worked and worked on it. Um, so that was super, super helpful. But yeah, it, funny enough, when I switched, when I went to law school, legal interviews are very, very different because they ask almost none of those questions. They tell me about a time when. Um, it's more just a, they'll give you enough rope to hang yourself so you can talk or they will talk the whole time because most attorneys like to talk and they will talk a lot. And so um, they are basically just trying to get a feel for you the whole time you're talking. So the, there's a lot less structure to legal interviews than there are finance native or business interviews is what I found is that legal interviews are actually quite a bit different in the sense that they're really trying to get more of a feel for you. I'm not saying which one is a better or worse style of interviewing, but they're definitely two very different styles. Right. Uh, well, that's interesting. I didn't, I, I thought that legal interviews would kind of be a little bit more in, in a similar sphere. Like I didn't think that they would be like materially different from, from business. I, I noticed a material difference. You'll maybe get one or two of those questions like that, or if it's maybe a bigger law firm, that has a structured set of questions, you'll get questions like those. But um, I, in my experience, I got far less of those kind of the specific questions we were talking about. Um, and it's more so you get to decide where the interview is gonna go, what you're gonna talk about, where you're gonna focus on, what you're gonna highlight, and basically build kind of that case for yourself. There's a lot more structure and free form in, it, in, in the interviews that I've had. And so you went to law school at Pepperdine. I think one of the 
big reasons why you chose that, if I remember correctly, was they give you a good scholarship and it's a good school. It's kind of a combination of, of both of those things, right? Uh, scholarship plus quality of education and, and network like you're, and plus it's like, it's on the beach, right? Like the campus is pretty cool. And, uh, which you seem, you seem to embrace the, the, the California lifestyle, like pretty good, pretty well, Curtis. Like you got, like, I understand you've picked up surfing. Uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know why I didn't bring this up at the start of the podcast, but you're living on a sailboat, uh, is currently where you are, uh, which I'm pretty jealous of. And, uh, and yeah, so that's, that's, I mean, I feel like all of that kind of like factored in your decision to go there. Right. Yeah. I don't know if the sailboat aspect. Not yet. Not yet. Yeah. That was, that was, yeah. It, um, I, I definitely <laughs> wanted to be in California. I think that was, um, one of the reasons. And then, yeah, I was able to get a really, really competitive scholarship that paid up for my tuition. So that, that made a big difference. Um, and kind of taking a look at, um, I had to look, look at opportunity costs for what is, what is it going to cost me um, or to kind of take myself out of the job market for three years and do I want to take on this debt debt load and what is what is that going to look like um, and like so the kind of the best principle I, I got into with the highest amount of money that I got was, was the calculus there. Right uh, which I think that's that seems like um, it seems like good calculus. That was actually the same, that was the same reason Harrison, uh, who I, he, he's in graduate school right now, a master's in finance at the U. And he said, the, he said the same thing. He was like the two, the scholarship that I got and the quality edge of the kid, you know, both of those things is why he ended up going there. And, um, and so, um, and then I guess, so moving kind of like looking forward, um, in, in your career, um, you ended up traveling a lot, and while you were traveling, uh, I think maybe we can kind of like circle back to traveling at the end because I think it's going to have a lot to do um, with kind of like what what uh, uh, kind of like the advice that you have and kind of like looking looking back. Um, but uh, you came up with this idea for the founders' attorney, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So a lot of it's kind of intertwined with a lot of the traveling, getting a little bit of space, but. Um, so I'd actually, um, when I was in law school, I'd, I'd never traveled at all before law school and Pepperdine has a really, uh, like a reputation for being a school where many of the undergrads I think, end up doing some sort of study abroad program. And a lot of that translates into the law school as well. They had a, a London program where you go for a semester and you're taught by Pepperdine professors. They also had a program where you go to Uganda. So I signed up for both. Um, you know, it's really tricky to travel in undergrad when you're playing a sport. So I, I was always a, a bit jealous of the kids who, who did travel. So when I got the chance to go, um, I said yes to it. I said yes to Uganda and then on the back end of that to London. So I was going to be gone for eight months. So I kind of figured I'll be gone for these eight months and then I'll never need to leave the U.S. again. Um, it was definitely wrong. I caught the travel bug pretty bad and uh, kind of fell in love with it. I have been to actually 30 countries now and it's, it's one of my favorite things to do is, is to travel. So that was informative in kind of starting my own firm. I, I came back to California, worked for, um, worked for Realty Mogul. They were a, kind of a series D, series E startup at that point in the equity crowdsource funding space for real estate ventures. I worked underneath the general counsel and kind of learned a lot about how the actual practice within in-house role works. Um, and then that summer I, I moved up to Fresno and that was Dellinger and you mentioned I worked for small, it was a medium-sized law firm, uh, about 40 or 50 attorneys. 
up in the Central Valley and I worked there. Um, amazing experience, got to connect with the partners, really, really great folks, um, learned a ton. I was able to interact with clients. And since I was basically, I was the only summer intern there, I was able to get a lot of hands-on work in the areas that I really wanted to work in. Um, and I learned a lot about kind of the law firm model, how lawyers make money, how law firms make money, where there are some, in my mind at the time, and, and still so, some maybe unnecessary expenses. And so I, I figured the, the transition from leaving co college to, jumping into the uh adult world i guess was it was a, it was a jump um say at least at the time especially after three years so i didn't want that to happen as much going from law school where i really enjoyed and i was a part of all of these activities and events and things to kind of jumping into the legal world um, to be quite so sudden so that's why i did my last semester working kind of full-time at the sec i moved to dc so my last semester of law school i kind of moved away from all my friends uh, took a step back from Bar Review and all these committees and, and news orientation, all the things that I was a part of at Pepperdine, and moved to DC. Um, and it, that gave me a little bit of perspective. And then one of my best friends wanted to study for the bar in the Caribbean. Um, and since it was remote, we studied there. We, I said, yes, I'm in. Uh, we initially said, um, he said, um, to Costa Rica. And I said, great. And he said, what about the Caribbean? I said, great. Um, so we got Airbnb and um, we, we did a study, we did a program that was all online anyway. So um, we studied and worked and lived in the Caribbean for a couple months. Um, we came back, took the bar, and then I studied or I left for about four or five months. I took the remainder of the loan I took out. I'm not sure I would advocate for this, but um, it worked out very well for me. I graduated debt-free and took around a thirteen, dollars $12,000 loan. Uh, to study for the bar and then I spent the rest of it traveling um, for five, six months after the bar. Um, and during the time in the Caribbean and then after, I kind of I percolated and thought on this idea of, of starting my own firm and what does that look like? And um, and I, I think passing the bar and doing something a little bit different, um, studying for, for the bar in the Caribbean and passing and having that kind of work out and um, that, that was one piece of it and i just I, I looked at this law firm model and i thought there's there's a white space here and there's my experiences in strictly in startups and securities and sort of struggle with this and people don't need to pay me a thousand dollars an hour they can pay me far less than that but i can do a i can kind of fit in this this niche and this white space of being hyper specialized and only helping early stage startups do their financing so I came in with that kind of thesis and finding that white space and um, was able to have kind of over the last three or four, five years been able to rise with the ecosystem and tide of startups in LA that's just been growing and growing and growing. So um, yeah, I, I think I got lucky and it was good timing with, um, with that, the amount of venture capital in LA growing and the interest in early stage startups growing. And what um in terms of in terms of vc in terms of early stage startups um what do you kind of like see in la is there kind of like a specialty or or do you see like a lot of like similar companies like propping up around the area or like who are what do you think are like some of like the the like what are your clients coming up with like what do you feel like your clients are specializing in? do you have like one thing that you focus on 
uh, in terms of like a business model? Is it like a, is it like a FinTech company or is it like, maybe it's like online dating, maybe it's a product, maybe they have a product that they're selling. Um, and I mean, what do you feel like your clients are doing and what do you kind of just maybe just speak a little bit about what the startup culture is like in LA? Yeah, absolutely. So um, LA is always kind of reinventing and refining and changing itself. But I would say you asked this question five, 10 years ago, you'd say you'd, the first answer you hear is consumer goods, consumer products, consumer um, tech is, is what's hot and what's cool and what's what's coming out of LA is setting a trend in terms of like consumer tech. Um, and an easy example to point to is Honey, if people are familiar with that, was acquired by PayPal recently in a multi-billion dollar sale. So those I think have been, Snapchat also another one um, out of the area. Those have been kind of the stalwarts of LA tech, um, but there's a lot going on. There's a, and because there's so many engineers coming out of uh, USC, um, UCLA, and there's a lot of really great Harvey Mudd, there's a lot of great uh, engineering programs and schools in LA, you're seeing a wide range. I mean, you're seeing some AI, you're seeing a lot of cryptocurrency, you're seeing um, definitely a lot of consumer goods, e-commerce um, type products, D2C, um, and seeing a lot of success in um, B2B SaaS companies, so business to business, selling software as a service companies. That's kind of one area that has been um, pretty successful in the last few years. Cannabis tech, that's, that area is also kind of taken off. Um, uh, green tech, yeah, that, th those are all, LA dabbles a little bit. It's not the Silicon Valley, but there's, um, it's, a, it's a wider range of, of startups. But um, as far as like deep, deep tech, um, you do see a lot of, you will see a lot, still a lot of B2B SaaS companies, but not in the same kind of quantity you'll see in the Valley or in same with like AI, AI companies, you see less med tech startups as well. Those are closer to San Diego, up in the Bay as well. Yeah, well, that's, um, that sounds like super interesting, dude. I love, uh, I mean, I, I, you know, work for a private wealth management company. And so I love uh, finance and like VC and like kind of uh, investing in startups is something that I'm super interested in. You kind of mentioned earlier how we did like that internship together at Wayne Bryan Institute, which was kind of like my first, which was my first uh, kind of experience working with uh, I mean, working with entrepreneurs is like kind of fun, right? Like working with entrepreneurs is fun. Uh, it's cool seeing this idea that they have and that they're so passionate about and trying to figure out a way to like make it work and, and you know, take it to that next level. So I think that, um, you know, kind of like what you're doing and and just kind of the idea of the founders of Turner is like super cool. There's less, and, there's less FinTech. I love FinTech as well, legal tech, same. But there is less FinTech in kind of LA. There's uh, yeah. Acorns, which I think is about an eight-year-old company. Um, yeah. They're valued over a billion. They're down in Irvine, so a little bit south of here. You're actually one of the interesting Acorns, I think. Um, yeah, I still you have my Acorns account, man. You were one of their first users. Yeah, I, I love Acorns. It's a great, it's a great little product. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, all the robo advisors, I think, are like super disruptive and interesting. Um, uh, Betterment, Wealthfront, Acorns um, are all super cool. And so I guess I wanted to ask you, you know, looking back um, over, over your career, over the things, all, all the things that you've done, um, you know, can you point to like maybe one thing that you're like, like is founding your firm, like is that what you're like most proud of? Or what do you think you're like, what, is you, what are you most proud of that you've done so far in your career? Yeah, I mean, I think the firm still kind of shocks me that it, that it works and that I had this thesis that it worked 
like my idea was to work, I work 20 hours a week and focus 20, 30, 40 hours a week on other things. And um, I, I think the thing that surprised me the most is that it actually works and I have like, very happy clients and people and I get to work with amazing entrepreneurs and that it's that it's going the way it's going and I get to work within these early stage tech deals and kind of get to be plugged into the LA ecosystem. I, I think that that's one that I'm really proud of. Um, I teach at Pepperdine, as I think you mentioned. Um, I'm teaching my fifth class right now, uh, BizOrgs. I just got my reviews back from my last one, and they're incredibly positive. So I was just, I was really, really happy to, to see the last kind of set of uh, reviews that I got. I think I had 10 students that did a review out of like the 20 or 25 I had in my class. And it was just awesome to kind of get that kind of feedback um, from students. So I, I love teaching. Um, that's one thing I'm really passionate about, but um, yeah, I think it's it's definitely the the founders' attorney still kind of surprised me, and I, I think it'd be, I'm just really happy that it's it's created the space to to do a lot of work, to do a lot of self work, to kind of build a foundation for what does the next 20, 30 years of my career look like, and so it's given me. Um, an opportunity that I don't think that all of us get in our careers because we end up scrambling and working and, and just going, going, going. And, and I experienced that at Goldman working 11, 12 hour days. So just, you're just in a scramble and you, you don't really have, I guess, the self-reflection to see where you want your career to go and to build some of those foundational skill sets that are going to carry you forward from this point through your 40s, 50s, 60s. And, and what does that look like and how do you build upon and capitalize on that continuing holistically, that's the piece that, I, that I'm the most proud of. And I've really only seen a lot of that stuff come together in the last six, seven, 12 months, um, which has been really, really great to kind of watch. Um, that, that kind of like just what you were saying about, um, you know, kind of, kind of uh, uh, spending, having the time to reflect and having the time to kind of like think about uh, strategically, what do I really want? How can I execute on this? Um, I feel like, you know, some of that is, and I'm kind of like leading here because I feel like I know the answer, but like who, who are some of the people that not necessarily like your parents or, or, uh, but like, you know, it, it could be uh, like podcasts or books or business book people or whoever, um, like who do you think has like a really big impact on how you think about your career um, and what do you feel like they've like taught you? Yeah. So in, in terms of, I think maybe relating into Tim Ferriss, I, I read yeah. that book. Uh, I read that book <laughs> uh, on my travel in, in that gap after law school, before I got bar results back and before I started the firm, I was like, I can do this. I think I can do this. And he got, she can get jacked up for the idea of like mini retirements and, and living kind of your ideal life. And how do you, and what does that look like? Um, and in hindsight, there—I mean, there's some aspects of that that are that um, maybe there's some fluff, and I think critics are right to argue argue some of those aspects. But he's right to point out a lot of these interesting things that that you're not taught in a traditional sense, and, and he's he's not the one to come up with them. But a lot of it's it's kind of getting plugged into that like that financially independent retire early um, idea. And hearing some of these different thoughts that you don't necessarily hear in a high school or an undergrad um, or even a graduate school, you don't you don't hear kind of breaking the mold a little bit. Um, but 
yeah, there's, I mean, a lot of people have had a lot of impact on me. Um, and in terms of like authors, definitely, I mean, Eckhart Tolle, The Power of Now, like being more present, being more like grounded and like being in every single moment. That's, that was a, a big, like I read those two around the same time and both of them had a really, really big impact on me. Uh, what, say the name of the second one again. Uh, it's called The Power of Now. The Power of Now. Because yeah. uh, I, uh, I haven't finished the four hour work week. I started listening to it when Amy and I bought this house um you know this past year you can tell we kind of bought a fixer upper there's still we still got some more stuff to do this this office is kind of the last the last place uh that needs some love you know in the in the house but i remember painting cabinets in our kitchen listening to the four hour week work week and tim ferris uh talking about living the life you want and why waiting until you retire and yeah. i mean i think that's i think that's one of the things that uh, you know, if, if, and I don't want to necessarily speak for you, but for anybody that listens to this podcast, um, you know, who is, is currently in business school or whatever, um, I think it's important for them to understand that, you know, going and killing yourself at an investment bank uh, for, you know, 80, 90 hours a week. I mean, that's, that is a great way, you know, that is a great way to make a living and, you're probably going to have a happy life, but I think there are there are other ways uh, to live a fulfilling life and to be happy with with um, your career and your wealth and um, get to do like all the things that you want to do. Um, I mean, that's one of the things that I appreciate. I think so much about where I work right now at Albion. Well, and I guess at, well, that's one of the things that I appreciate so much about working at Albion right now is I feel like they, it's a company where they take the whole work-life balance thing seriously and they totally uh, advocate or um, are big on us exploring um, what we want to do within the company and in terms of whether we want to be more client-facing, whether we want to be, uh, you know, work more on the research side or whether we want to, um, you know, kind of work on, work on the back end. Um, you know, they're very supportive of people um, exploring different parts of the company. And I think in general, when you have a better work-life balance, um, it gives you a chance or an opportunity to reflect on what's really important to you uh, versus when you're just freaking grinding and you have any, you don't have any time to think. You know, I mean, I felt that way when I was working at Morgan Stanley sometimes, um, or even when, even sometimes, you know, now when I feel like I'm really busy, we just went through a big data conversion project where I've been kind of a little bit busier lately. Um, you know, where you don't really, you feel like it's every day is the same sometimes. It's like Groundhog Day and you don't have any time to think strategically about what you're really doing with your life. You know, you just wake up, you grind, you eat, you sleep, and you do it the next day. Um, and I think that's what's something super cool about the way that you've approached your your career is I feel like you've put that thought into it and you set it up so that you can continue to grow and think about that. Um, and so I think that's super cool. Thank uh, you. And, and I agree. I think having that time is, is super important because otherwise you can't see kind of the forest through the trees and you just get so wrapped up in tree, tree, tree. And, and right. you only get the faster it goes. It just keeps going, going, going. I think that's one that if somebody told me that when I was in high school or undergrad, I, I don't think I, that would have resonated so much is that it goes faster and faster. Um, but yeah, you get into a rhythm and a routine and just 
keeps clicking by and you can see that like three, four, five, eight years a decade just melts away. So it's important to, it's important to ever, I mean, you can't think strategically all the time. You actually have to put in the work as well, but it's important to have that opportunity to zoom out. And when you do have the opportunity to really utilize it, to take that opportunity to, to, to get a wider perspective and a wider view and see where am I going and is this where I want to go? And I think this is where people talk about mentors all the time. And I, I, I think that we get, same with networking, I think these words get overwhelming um, because you go, how am I going to find a mentor? How am I going to find this perfect person whose life I want? And, and with networking, you go, it's, it's just it's intimidating. How do I go talk to these people and make business happen? And I, I, I like to look at both of those things very, very differently um, in the sense that with a mentor, it doesn't necessarily need to be somebody who has your ideal life. It just bits and pieces that you really respect of that person and what their business is or how they treat other people or how, what an aspect of that, their life that you want to emulate and kind of getting that real or true perspective on it. Um, and you can get that from a lot of people. It doesn't necessarily find one person who is the ideal mentor. That's incredible. It's fantastic. But if you end up at 60 or 70 or 80% fit or 30% fit in an area that you really care about, I think that's where you can take something away from it. And realizing also as a mentee, you have a lot to give as well um, in the sense of you're more plugged into what's happening right now on the ground, um, maybe within your age group or demographic, or you're more plugged into early tech or this or that or what's cool or what's happening. And also, people who are mentoring want to be able to give something back and so you can be a student of them you can keep that person who's acting as kind of a mentor plugged into your journey they're bought into your storyline and they're able to help out and they can check in and see and um think and that they and really truly have kind of an impact on your journey and your story and where you're going so i think that um that the mentor mentee relationship can feel a little bit one-sided if you're not looking at it a little bit more holistically and it can also feel really intimidating. Um, so I, I, it's one I really, cause I've had tons of mentors who I don't know if they would directly say, Oh yeah, we have a mentor mentee relationship. But um, in, in hindsight, looking back, it's like, Oh, absolutely. They acted as a real mentor to me. I think that's, um, I can't, I'm pretty sure it was like Simon Sinek who said that um, he was talking about a mentor mentee relationship that he had where he was the mentee. And uh, he said the exact same thing that uh, they never add, they, there was never a formal, hey, will you be my mentor? It was kind of like, it was kind of just like, he, he was just saying that a mentor-mentee relationship evolves like any relationship. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just, it just is something that uh, happens over time. And he just found himself going to this person consistently uh, mm -hmm. for advice, for help, um, you know, for uh uh, for company, just, you know, to, for, for friendship, essentially friendship, um, mm -hmm. even though this person was, was his senior. And, uh, and, and then he, he talked about how um, at one point uh, his mentor said the same thing to him, just that he felt like he was getting as much out of the relationship being, being Simon Sinek's mentor that Simon Sinek was getting out of being this guy's uh, mentee. Imagine being plugged into Simon Sinek's journey, right? And being... Yeah out and saying that, that how much this mentor this person met in Simon Sinek's life like somebody who's a world-renowned author incredibly famous incredibly like great writer great storyteller and like 
being plugged into Simon Sinek's journey, right? That's like what every mentor, I mean, that's what we all like want in a sense. If, if you're really being a teacher and trying to give back is that it, it's great to see somebody who really appreciated and took um, his, his advice, right? And then went a step further on it, which is, which is incredible. Right. And well, I know, um, yeah, I'm usually kind of like trying to keep these shows about, you know, 30, 40 minutes. And uh, so I wanted to uh, maybe kind of just like kind of pivot towards uh, the end of the show where I kind of just want to ask you for, or, or if you were going to um, give yourself some advice, or if you were going to think about, um, you know, somebody who's in college and is trying to, uh, you know, make a decision about what they want to do or, or their career, um, what do you think you would you would say to that person? What do you think you would tell them? Yeah, it, it's a great question. Um, and I, I think I would go back a little bit to the forest and trees um, thing is that when you're in college, it feels so prescient that this first job is so important um, and that that if you don't get this, it's not going to end up being like you want it to be. Um, one, one thing that I would say is um, taking some time to know yourself and, and this is where it gets back to like that strategic thinking um to take some time to know yourself and know where you're going and i think it really comes back to trusting yourself to follow kind of your journey um where you want it to go and trusting that you've connected enough with yourself to know where that is um one another one is don't get caught, so caught up in what other people think uh, you should be doing like that's one that still need to remind myself and, and we all I think need that reminder is is getting um is living your own journey and living your own life because at the end of it like no one else is going to be like you're the only one that can make yourself happy in this and it's not like you living somebody else's journey is definitely not going to make you happy and so I think living your own journey um and and allowing it to unfold instead of trying to control it which I think a lot of people do and I, I know that I'm guilty of this as well is trying to control every aspect of this journey that we're on um kind of watching and allowing your career to unfold you have to be an active participant in it but instead of trying to control exactly where it's going to go I think you really you really stifle some of that growth when you when you try to control every aspect of every career rung you step up. Um, it, I think it's, it's will mesh better with you and it'll align more with yourself and with your goals. And maybe it won't hit exactly what you had in this picture in your head because somebody else put that picture in your head or this is what you think other people would want you to do, um, but allowing it to kind of unfold. I mean, there's a lot of things that I never would have seen myself living on a boat and it's absolutely fantastic. I love it. And, um, me letting go of some of the control in my life has, has allowed for growth in some areas that I, I don't think that I would have, I would have seen otherwise. So that's, I think that's, um, I think that's good advice. That's kind of similar to my friend's advice uh, that I interviewed David Clark and he said his advice was kind of to just try to be flexible try to be flexible and be nimble and kind of like embrace, embrace change. If it's presented to you, like try not to be so rigid about what you feel like you have to do. And, and if you feel like um, something is a good opportunity, you should be flexible um, was kind of like his advice. So I feel like that's kind of similar. Mm -hmm. Well, um, I wanted to talk to you about like traveling now. So you've traveled, um, where have you traveled? So yeah, you said you've been to 30 countries. You've done a big trip in uh, kind of like Southeast Asia. 
and and kind of moving moving to more Central Asia, right? And you've done a big trip to Europe. You were in you were in Uganda, so you've spent some time in Africa. Um, maybe just talk about so maybe just talk a little bit about uh, uh, like kind of like your different travels and what like some of your your highlights have been. Yeah, sure. So um, I the the big pieces, I guess the big rocks, the place that I spent a lot of time in, um, spent a couple months in the Caribbean, like I said, spent six months in London, love, love London, um, Scotland, Edinburgh was definitely, I've always recommended that as a top city uh, to go to if you're looking to like travel. Um, Africa was amazing. I've been trying to get back there uh, for years now and we'd love to get back to Africa. Um, people are just so living with like a really open heart. Same in Southeast Asia, that's what I found was just like, if we kind of get kind of get insular and shut in in the U.S. and protecting what's ours and scared and, and just um, watching people live, I guess a little bit more, just hands open and and, and heart open was was really really a cool and impactful thing for me. Um, I spent I think two months in uh, Vietnam. I bought a motorcycle and went north to south. Yeah. Uh, and, <laughs> You know, but it, and I, I don't think you actually didn't know how to ride a motorcycle when you no. bought it, right? Yeah, you had no idea how to buy a motorcycle. You ride a motorcycle. You're in Vietnam, yeah. and you're like, "I'm gonna do this." Yeah, I, I got a lesson the day I bought. I bought it, but <laughs> yeah. and I didn't know how to buy. I didn't know how to sail the sailboat when I bought it either. Yeah, um, that was crazy. And I, I, I usually go out like every weekend now. Um, uh, yeah, I. I guess in terms of like some of my top, my top favorite places, I was actually just talking to a friend about this day. I went to Morocco recently. That was my last trip, I guess, before the pandemic hit. We took an, um, I was just saying how much I like traveling through a little bit unconventional or little hidden in plain sight means. Um, we took a ferry to across the Cape of Good Hope and uh, things that I may have it wrong, through the Horn of Africa, right to, um, from the bottom of Spain, to uh, Morocco, um, and a fantastic trip. Really, really enjoyed Chefchaouen. Um, I would say Budapest is one of my top cities. Incredible mm. place if you get a chance to get out there. Um, it's a little bit tricky talking about traveling and all these places that are incredible that you can't go to right now, and that um, that their character may change. I mean, if you look at LA and the character of it's changed a little bit, and it'll come back, and, and things will look very similar. Um, but yeah, I would, for anybody out there who's, who's contemplating, who's a curious mind and is, uh, I, th I think that's what traveling is like enabled for me is just to see all these different people doing all these things that are doing them differently and realizing it's not better or worse. But similarly, some things are better, maybe some things are worse, but realizing it's just a lot of it's just different and it's different and that's okay. And that, that that variety adds to this, this really this specialness in life. The, um, one of the one of the other people that I interviewed, she her name was Leslie Summerdorf. She's an executive chef at Harmons. She um, her like her like big thing is like traveling too. That's kind of like her key to living a well. Her her key or her advice to like living a well-rounded life is to travel. Yeah, I and, agree. And um, which is something that I need to be better at. I've only been to Canada. I've never been to Mexico. And Amy and I have our first trip planned to Europe uh, in the summer 
2022. So I'm really excited about Dota that. Sin does too. It's uh, it's north of Cabo a little bit. It's like uh, an hour away from Cabo. It's uh, really fantastic. I've been down through Baja a couple times just driving oh, south. Yeah. I flew into Cabo and rented a car and drove up. Um, it's awesome. That's a really really great getaway too. It is uh, it's a really unique and, and fun. Um, is 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 a place I'm trying to get back to. Is Baja California. Baja California. Yeah, there's a lot, yeah. of, and a lot of great places in the states and in Canada, like Banff. I that's a place that's on my list in, in Canada. Yeah. That uh, it's, I know it's, it's hard talking about it right now with everything going on, but um, we'll get back to it. Well, we'll we'll get back to it, and hopefully we can uh, travel together somewhere. I would love to do. I'd love to go to Banff. Actually, Banff is on Banff is on my list too. We can. I'll email you some stuff. Maybe we can plan something. I would I would love to do that. Uh, well, Curtis, thank you. I feel like that was uh, a great show and super productive. And thank you so much for for coming on. Um, you know, I'll I'll uh, uh, let you know when I post it, man. I'll let you know. I think probably in in um, a few weeks. Um, and if anybody has any additional like follow up questions and they reach out to you, feel free to give my contact information. I'm happy to. Oh, yeah. I'm always happy to kind of give my two cents and help out a little bit. So um, yeah, I hope, that, I hope people found this helpful. I'm sure they did. Well, thanks for, thanks for joining me. And uh, you know, thanks for tuning in to this episode of Your Hot with Scott. This is my guy, Curtis Roberts, uh, you know, the founder at the Founders Attorney. Um, thanks, for, thanks for tuning in this week. We'll see you next time. Big, big thank you to my friend Curtis Roberts for coming on the show. We had a great conversation about his business school journey to law school to starting his own law firm, the importance of reps and interviewing in the startup culture scene in Los Angeles. We talked about the importance of taking a step back and thinking strategically about your career and the mentor-mentee relationship's importance. Curtis's advice for young people is to try and see the forest through the trees and to experience other parts of the world as much as possible. If you want to reach out to Curtis, please check out his website, foundersattorney.com. I'll be posting his other contact information in the description to this podcast. Thank you all so much for tuning in to this episode of Digital Mentorship. Make sure to press that subscribe button, and we'll see you guys next time.